Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, um, this is Lisa Fine and you're listening to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast on the Compliance Podcast Network. I co-host the podcast with Mary Shirley. And today I have one of Mary's and my all-around favorite people um, and somebody who is my mentor, sponsor, advocate, and one of the people that is one of our first two guests. And just really, if you don't know Ellen Hunt, then, um, you know, get to know her right away. Because in a lot of ways, I feel like I have this guest right now who I feel like needs no introduction. But And just with that in mind, um, Ellen is now the Vice President of Compliance Programs Operation and the Chief Privacy Officer at LifePoint Health. Um, Ellen is also a regular speaker. She was formerly at the AARP. She is a leader in our profession and a leader and advocate for all women. So thank you so much for being here and thank you for coming up with this great topic and talking about what's on your mind right now. So we're just talking a lot right now about a conversation that's coming up in our community pretty regularly, talking about Activision and Blizzard and also how that's put kind of a spotlight or a reflection um, on our profession, how leadership and how um, ethics and compliance leaders and also organizational leaders as a whole can respond. So with that, Ellen, I'll let you do a quick introduction and then we'll jump right into it. Well, thank you, Lisa, for the opportunity to chat with you. Um, I really always enjoy being a guest on the Great Women in Compliance uh, podcast. And um, as we talked a little bit before, I I have just really been very, very troubled and very focused on what's uh, happening in regards to whistleblowers and the impact I think it has for every ethics and compliance program, as well as uh, everybody in a compliance role. I'm just very concerned that when we have situations like uh, Activision, that um, the promise of organizational justice, which is that we say to employees, do the right thing, speak up, tell us when you have concerns, and we won't retaliate against you, really seems to be being exposed uh, publicly uh, and in the newspaper and media in a way where that promise seems to ring hollow. And I think it goes to the core of all of our ethics and compliance programs and to the core of what compliance professionals do. And um, so I know probably like many of my colleagues and maybe you too, Lisa, have been involved in speak up campaigns and awareness campaigns to get the word out to encourage people to come forward. But I, I'm not sure that we've done a good job really addressing some of the real consequences for doing so. And so I, I read the news and um, some of the allegations flying around, um, not only about Activision, but now also the case regarding Governor uh, Cuomo and how some of the people there have, are being treated for coming forward. Uh, and it just, it causes me great concern. Yeah, I mean, and I agree. And a couple of the things that um, really were um, important or resonated with me is the organizational response to the Activision Blizzard lawsuit 
Um, and particularly without getting into detail, the, the, the compliance response was a really surprising thing to me because I think one of the things that I think a lot about is trying to be as neutral as you can, but to, to step out there as a public speaker and to somehow diminish the allegations. I feel like when you talk about making people feel retaliated against, when you have that office or people in our role, um, how can we do better? I mean, and I feel like that was an yeah. example of not of, of doing that much more like a, we're in a litigation, not a, we are, you know, trying to figure out how to build an ethical and compliant culture. Yeah, it's it, it's really just a very interesting dynamic. And, you know, you and I can't opine as to whether, you know, what what's the merit of, of the allegations. But uh, putting it, putting that aside, anybody who raises a concern ought to be treated with respect um, and should be um, given given us, you know, amount of dignity uh, to be heard about their concern. And, and, and so when you kind of think about this, um, we understand that organizations want to protect themselves from legal risk uh, and defend themselves against law lawsuits, whether they're, you know, have merit or they are meritless. We, we understand all that, but I, I, I'm amazed that this compliance officer felt there was a need to opine on how valid or not valid the lawsuit is but also, I, I think there's an underlying attack uh, on, on people coming forward in general and a, a very large chilling effect, which kind of says, look, um, you know, we asked and answered or we don't think it's valid. So over and done with. Um, and we know you we all work in environments that change. And, and so maybe they did look into these situations and maybe they found they were without merit. Uh, but that doesn't mean that other things haven't haven't arisen. And um, I know we can all get beaten down sometimes by the, you know, somebody who's a frequent flyer or a constant uh, complainer. But that doesn't mean that they aren't right the last time. Um, and it, to me, this just it just totally undermines um, the organ the concept of organizational justice. But I also think it sheds all ethics and compliance professionals and ethics and compliance programs in the light of being a sham. I'm, I, how can it be that we promise on the one hand, freedom from retaliation or fear from retaliation, and then you see organization after organization, and Activision isn't the only one, coming after uh, people who uh, have reported. I, they're either being discredited where they're being demasked, uh, you know, uh, it's it just, it's really a horrible dynamic. Um, and I give a lot of credit to the employees who felt it was important enough to, to have a walkout about. Um, there's a lot of hypocrisy here going on and with an organization saying on the one hand, speak up, and on the other, when you do, we'll crush you. Right, and I think, um, one of the things that when Mary Inman, who's leader of the whistleblower practice at Constantine Cannon, she was a guest that with Mary on the podcast. And one of the things that she talked about, and I, I think about this a lot, is when she she represents whistleblowers after they become whistleblowers, she's had, it, it, you know, people in some very large lawsuits and talks about, you know, be prepared psychologically for what's going to happen to you 
when you raise your concerns. And what I find just striking about that is that's first of all, part of the practice. And second of all, how you know the, the psychological pain and challenges that come from that, just the person who's trying to do the right thing to, to be saying to them, we really, as, as, as you said, with ethics and compliance professionals, we really want you to do the right thing, but okay, this might, you know, down the line, destroy your life, but you're doing the right thing for X organization. Yeah, it just, it, it really is a, a phenomenal, um, uh, situation and it's been going on for a long time. I um, have had the pleasure to teach uh, as an adjunct professor at uh, Fordham University, the introduction to compliance course. And we spent a lot of time uh, with uh, Wells Fargo, which is, you know, is old news by now. But unfortunately, the thing that isn't old news is how horribly that organization treated its whistleblowers um, and uh, Claudia de uh, Ponce Leon, who was a star performer, star performer, uh, promoted uh, like 10 times in 11 years. Uh, you know, they not only demasked her and told everybody that she was a reporter, but then they, they went on a campaign to discredit her, calling her an alcoholic and a poor performer. And some of those folks are still uh, in front of OSHA trying to get <laughs> their claims settled. And that's, that's another piece of this is, um, you know, these people are entitled to go through the process and have it done in a timely way. And it's, it's years, maybe even decades for some of these people. And they're still waiting to get these things resolved. Um, and I don't know what it is, Lisa, about the psychology, where we feel that somebody who has had the courage to speak the truth, and it may be their truth, um, and the facts may not always bear them out, but they've had that courage that we feel we have to treat them as a snake, a rat. I mean, we call them whistleblowers, uh, and, and really ostracize them uh, from society. And I, I wish we had some brilliant academics or other behavioral scientists to come to the aid of the ethics and compliance profession and tell us how do we maneuver and navigate protecting the organization from legal risk, uh, but also treat whistleblowers in a much better way? Um, because, frankly, I don't know why anybody wants to come forward, given what they see in the news these days. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with that. And I, I think that companies, I mean, first of all, I, don't, I really don't like the term whistleblower. I like to talk about people who are raising concerns because they are on so many different levels. I think what we're talking about now has become such huge, tremendous, endemic, you know, systemic problems that need to be addressed. There are a lot of times that somebody who raises a concern is not, it, it may not yet be systemic, but could become that. And how, you know, to make sure that those individuals still feel comfortable, you know, moving forward or being able to move forward in an organization. What's happening here, both in terms of Activision Blizzard and Governor Cuomo, which is, um, you know, I, I'm watching that one, I'm fairly captivated, having been from Buffalo growing up. Um, so, and for other many reasons, but it's, it's just a fascinating thing to realize that his circle around him approach was to isolate him from people who almost, it seems to be isolate people who might've quote unquote been temptation for him and then try to destroy or hurt others who may be causing an issue down the line. 
And that in terms of government and culture and wanting to be a part of it, it why would you? I mean, why would you want to do public service? And it's a really strange to ever, the more you read and the more you see and that these things are happening and coming out publicly at the same time are, are really fascinating to me. And the one yeah. other thing I'll say really quickly is that I also feel like a lot of times on this podcast, we talk about all the things we do well as a profession. And there's a lot of that, but this is a place where I think we can do better. Absolutely. And, you know, when you go back to the beginning of the federal sensing guidelines, 1990, right? Uh, you know, this was a move on the government's part to really, frankly, uh, try to force voluntary compliance, right? It's it's not legally required. We don't have to have ethics and compliance programs, but we have all picked up that mantle. Uh, but it, it seems that there is a large disconnect, perhaps with the board of directors and management, and maybe also you know, general counsel along with outside counsel on, wait a minute, the idea here really was, and I think remains, you should self-police yourself. You should, you should be given the opportunity to figure out what your issues are and the chance to investigate them and, and implement corrective actions or other um, process changes that you need so that these things do not become <laughs> uh, front page news. And we seem to really not be holding up our end of the bargain on, on two pieces of this one is, I think there are certainly organizations that don't investigate these, that don't take them seriously, that engage in the demasking and the discrediting of the reporter because they don't either want to really face the truth of what's going on or they don't want to invest the time and the energy to make sure it's not going on. And then the other piece is when these allegations do have some merit, the idea is, well, let's go after the reporter because somehow it's their fault because they told the, told the truth versus it's the fault of the organization and leadership, uh, as well as maybe some other <clears throat> employees or, or people associated with the organization. And um, it, just, it just seems to me to be uh, a very immature and ineffective way to deal with this. And here we are 30 years later. <laughs> And you would think we should be able to get this right by now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I also think, I mean, I was just thinking as you're speaking, you know, for women, I think it's even more pronounced and more of a challenge. I mean, when you don't speak up, they're considered quiet. If you're speaking up too much, people can sit, may call you bossy as opposed to assertive. And when you raise concerns, there's some minimization of it. Do you think, I mean, I think women are, I mean, also, I mean, that's part of all of Activision. And we also see this with what's happening with Governor Cuomo. Yeah. And, and your last guest, uh, Sam Kellum, really, you know, really brought this forward is that, you know, women still suffer uh, in the workplace and in leadership positions from um, being char characterized for behavior that is lauded and applauded by men, but then held against uh women. And um, I, it's interesting to me when you think maybe about some of the convergence of the Me Too, Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, uh, diversity and inclusion, or you know, Jedi, justi uh, justice, equity, 
um, and, and inclusion and how these things are all going to come together. Uh, we all want to work in a workplace where we're respected no matter who we are. And you wouldn't think that that would actually be such a tremendous challenge uh, for, for workplaces to achieve. Now, humans don't always treat humans nicely. We, we know that. Um, but, he, but at least at Activision, there appears to have been are certainly acknowledged among employees, if not by the organization or management itself, this real frat culture. Um, and why did it why did it continue? And why wasn't something done about it? And what is the dynamics where people can just shrug their shoulders sometimes and say, well, that's just the culture, so it's it's okay. Um, Astute business people would say, hmm, no, that's not the kind of culture we want because it's not going to attract the most diverse and the most talent. Um, and, and why would we want to put ourselves in a position where we're not the employer of choice? It just kind of boggles my mind. I don't really quite understand um, why this seems to be so difficult for us um, as organizations to, to really be able to get our hands around. I do think one of the challenges for, for us as, in, in ethics and compliance is that oftentimes some of the individuals that are the ones who either define the culture or are the instigators of many of the issues then become people who are sort of a combination of both, um, you know, really, really strong um, in their job and also men who, people who are very charismatic and, you know, have that personality where lots of people, so they like them and they're excellent producers. So then you're going through a challenge that you shouldn't be going through because you've got this discussion. And I think all of us have had it when we're you know dealing with a difficult issue or individual where some, some people will be saying, look, but, but this guy, you know, all of our customers love him and, yeah, we've made this much money. And, you know, if, if you, I don't know enough about the video games that are a part of this, but, you know, if somebody's like their major developer and all this, sometimes they get that carte blanche, they, and that, that turns and can really destroy the culture. But I also think you then have that whole controversy as well from the people that like them are like, oh, he could never have done that. Well, you know, there's definitely a dynamic. And I think we've all seen it every has been doing ethics and compliance for a while is delivering the message um, to a leader or a manager that their star or their friend or their right-hand person is not who they think they may be is always difficult. Um, and um, often, you know, management will go through a process of denial and then rationalization um, and some of that's human nature because you have a perception of this person is one thing and what you're being told does not um, align with, with that perception. And it's, that's always a difficult conversation. Uh, and it's certainly understandable for management to think through what the ramifications of losing a star might be. But what I have always um, done and had uh, as the other side of the coin of that conversation is um, they may be a star to you because you're the boss, but people who are toxic 
cast a very wide net. And you don't really know how many people have left or are thinking of leaving or clock out at five o'clock and give the job half the effort uh, or talk badly about the organization privately or maybe even on social media because your star is not really treating them the right way. And you really have to consider that. And um, there was um, a book a number of years ago, and I won't get the title exactly right, but it was basically, you know, the no bullshit rule. And um, there's a whole chapter in there about how people who are toxic are really behaving in a way that is not respectful bring everybody down. And the cost for that might be hard to measure, um, but it also can be catastrophic. And you, you, you really wonder, you know, I can't remember the exact number of people who walked out, 200 is what in my mind, but that might not be accurate. Um, they were angry enough, upset enough to take to the street with signs about this. How could the organization really not have understood that there was a toxic environment? I mean, put, put, putting aside whether you think the lawsuit is valid or not, but it just, it just seems amazing to me that, you know, um, there was seemed to be no recognition of what's going on. And I, I think somebody referred to some of the management's responses, tone deaf, uh, it seems more than that. I mean, not only tone deaf, but just completely blind and uncaring to maybe what's happening in the workplace. And um, it just seems to be counterintuitive to what a good ethics and compliance program should be doing. Yeah, and I mean, I also think, and not to go back to disparaging or anything about the chief, uh, the chief compliance officer, was one of the other interesting moves was that in the middle of last week, she had put a, an article on on Twitter talking about some of the challenges and issues with whistleblowers. And that was right as the, the walking out. And it, I mean, that brings up, you know, sort of two questions for me. Um, you know, one is how do you think that that might be a good idea in the middle of people saying that they're going to be a walkout and you don't know why, and you don't know how personally attacked an individual is, but, you know, sort of disparaging people who raise concerns is always a problem that at least we try with the speak up, but that's even not helping with that part. Um, and the second part is, this is something that our, our friend Matt Kelly wrote when he talked about this. And I really like this quote, um, you know, and I want to see if what you think, because I think it relates to that comment is ethics and compliance's job is to stand there and to listen to the allegations, however unfair or ill-informed or flat out nutty they might be, all in the name of building a corporate culture where employees feel comfortable speaking up. It's not about, and this is what I really like, it's not about separating the wheat from the chaff. It's tolerating the chaff so that you can find the wheat. So yeah. I guess the follow-up is how do you protect the wheat after that? <laughs> well, I think, it's, I think it's spot on. And one of my uh, earlier bosses um, said to me at one point where I, I think I had gone into her office and was kind of you know, lamenting the frequent flyer complainer uh, and she said, you know, Ellen, even the paranoid can be stopped. Uh, and she said, really, what, what Matt is saying in that quote, which is, it may be the hundredth time, but they could be right this time. Uh, and it's our job to stand there and listen, to be as objective 
and fair and thorough as we possibly can, uh, and to do what's in the best interest of the organization. And if uh, you know that means that we have somebody who uh, just really doesn't understand how to utilize the uh, reporting process and is abusing it, of which I have only seen twice in my you know 20 plus year career, quite frankly, this idea of bad faith, um, and, and, and really get to the bottom of it. And, you know, sometimes these issues span beyond uh, our protocols, right? You know, who owns culture? Who owns, uh, you know, discrimination or hostile work environment? But the, the fact of the matter is how an organization treats its people has to be something that's of concern to the ethics and compliance department. Hopefully you're partnering with HR and legal with this and, and working together and it's collaborative, but sometimes it can get very territorial and, and siloed, which I think, you know, some that maybe results in what happened in, in Axon Vision. I mean, I, I'll tell you one of the things I thought of when I read some of that correspondence is, are some of these members of management being pressured to say certain things that they maybe do or don't believe? Uh, because that maybe positions the company better in regard to the lawsuit. If so, that's not appropriate. That's not appropriate either. But um, it, it really gets to the core of organizational justice. And I think Matt's quote is spot on is, you know, at the end of the day, as ethics and compliance professionals, we're there to protect the reputation of the organization and you protect it by doing the right thing. And nothing good can come out of, of, of your organization suddenly being the one that's being discussed in this light or this manner. This is exactly one of the things that when you talk about protecting the organization that you'd like to avoid. You want people to feel much more comfortable that they don't have to take to the streets or write letters and leak them to the media of, you know, we, we even disagree with your approach now. You said you've hired lawyers. We don't like, you know, who you've chosen, that you don't want to get to that point. But how much courage it takes to get there, I think sometimes people within organizations or others really ignore. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't, we don't know all the facts uh, in the Activision case. But, you know, I, I'm going to harp back to Wells Fargo because it's, it's fresh in my mind. But over 212 cases to the hotline. Uh, and they just, they systematically ignored those reports uh, and, and really went after the reporters to uh, fire them, discredit them, demask them, do all of that. And you have to kind of sit back for a minute and kind of go, hmm, things that make you go, hmm. So did this just come up and now people are taking, the employees are taking to the streets? Or has this been really going on for quite a while? And of course the organization knows, and maybe they've been ineffective in their response or have had no response at all, but this is another one of those, I don't know if you can say it's a dirty little secret, um, but I bet you can make, take a poll of ethics and compliance professionals where you've had that case or that series of cases where Management is just telling you not to move forward. The people are frequent flyers, they're complainers, they're poor performers, they're whatever. And 
it's a year, it's two years, it's whatever, and it doesn't get done. So this, back to Matt's quote, it's important to listen to people and make them feel heard. So we know from studies that people rarely go outside first. And, and what they really want is the behavior to stop, right? And maybe you have a few people who want what I call the bossectomy. Uh, or, uh, <laughs> I've never heard that. I love it. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, it's a preemptive strike because they do have performance issues. But, you know, that's not really, in my experience, it's not the majority. Really, generally, it's people who see a behavior that they think is harming the organization, harming themselves, harming the workplace, and they just want it to stop. And I have always been in the position, frankly, if you are doing thorough, fair, objective investigations, that protects the organization on all these fronts 10 times better than hiring the best lawyer to defend you in the lawsuit. Yeah. Or to hire the best lawyers to come in and do a you know, workplace evaluation and talk to people it is, and try to improve it. Because by the time you're at that point, you know, people are getting their moment to speak. Some of them may feel that way, but others are just like, this is a whole other step of this that's going to turn out to, you know, four or five constructive things to, to change things. And the rest of it will be like less important. But I do think, I mean, listen, I, I we've all seen frequent, you know, frequent reporters, people who have well, all the issues you're talking about. That does, as you said, it doesn't mean that there's not something valid in there. Sometimes I think that's a moment of all growth for all of us when you, you're with that same person, you know, same person, same issue, you know, again and again to make sure that you're, but there's often there is something there that got it started. It may not be the way the reporter defines it or has now allowed it to become necessarily the issue that they believe it is, but there's usually, there's usually something to at least figure out if it needs to be addressed or handled or differently before it becomes you know, the front, I mean, you know, back back in the day, it was always like the front of the New York Times. Now I'm just not sure if it's just, uh, you know, an, a Google or a Google alert or, a, you know, Apple News. Um, yeah. You don't want to be the one popping up on the people's phones. No. And, and you know, um, sometimes um, these issues are not ethics or compliance issues. They're, they're, they end up truly being employee relation issues, right? They, they, you have a, a group of people who just cannot get along. But I I will say that you know, for me, I, I have always thought of good faith and the way I have defined it in the codes of conduct that I've written in others is that the person had a, based on the facts that they knew, they had a, it was reasonable for them to believe what they alleged. And we know sometimes people don't have all the facts and they haven't been communicated with. And they have jumped to a conclusion. But based on what they know, was it reasonable? And I will tell you, really seriously, only in, in, in two cases have I seen somebody actually act in true bad faith. It was completely malicious and completely false. Um, and, and that's another thing that, that, that scares me in some of this conversation, which is, well, now we're going to uh, attack the motivations of the reporter mm -hmm. and just somehow assume that they're being or try to prove that they're, they're being vindictive. And 
I, I fear, I really fear uh, for the ethics and compliance profession, if what we do is we veer off uh, from what I think the federal sensing guidelines are telling us to do, which is back to, back to Matt's uh, quote, listen, figure out what's really there and fix it, right? The federal sensing guidelines are about fine and fix. Uh, and um, you don't really do that if you if you what you do is you run the reporter down down to the ground and you you fire them you embarrass them you out them. Uh, it's just a dangerous. It's really a da- very dangerous path, I think. I think I mean find and fix, and then I guess to, the last point that I'd probably just want to end up about or talk about is how do we protect them? And and I think this is what I want want to. And with as a thought from you, what do you think if you were right now as you're looking at it and thinking about it? I love, you know, what do you think we could do and how and do better? I mean, how, how do we do that in our roles? And in, you know, knowing as we all do some of the limitations and ability, um, what do you think we can do better? And what would be even a smaller practical step? Yeah, so I, th- I think there are a number of, of different things and it will, it will seem a, a bit of a scattershot, but uh, I think one of the things that is a flaw in uh, the current legislative regulatory framework is compliance officers themselves are not protected. Um, and so I think that, you know, when... The compliance officer leaves. It should be a reportable event, just like when the internal auditor walks away. Um, there should be some uh, checks and balances on public disclosure in regards to, to that, because I think there's certainly our ethics and compliance professionals who are pressured and influenced to um deep six the facts or not um, address some of these concerns. And I think we need to be, we need to be those sponsors and those advocates for the reporters. Um, and we, we also need to have the right uh, gravitas and empowerment within the organization to make the change. So uh, some of that is of course, your own ability to build relationships and work with others uh, but I think that we have to be doing some some advocacy and some real communicating with our uh, friends in HR and legal counsel um, that there has to be a better way to protect the organization from legal risk than what we're doing now uh, and really engage them in what that might be. Uh, and, and I think it's really is um, also advocating for boards of directors, uh, for compliance officers to be on board of directors, people who truly understand that the opportunity to be proactive and to cure the problem is as soon as it arises rather than years later. Uh, and some real oversight on that. Um, I'm somewhat hopeful that the ESG movement, where some of these numbers might uh, appear in ESG reports, will give some light to that. Um, and then I think in your, you know, it, on an individual level, you know, what could each and every one of us do? I think they have to have go have a conversation with your general counsel or your chief HR person 
or whoever it is that you work with on some of these issues and talk about, well, gee, let's use this as a case study. What if this had been us? What are we gonna do about our investigative protocols and what we're doing to make sure that, that, that we're not the next Activision? Um, and engage in that conversation before an issue arises because when you're in the midst of uh, an intense um, uh, time <laughs> sensitive investigation is not the time to be you know, discussing roles and responsibilities. But uh, I, I think everybody should pull out their investigative protocols and give them a, a good shake and say, hmm, hmm. And then, on, and then on the back end, I think what we do is go case closed. Uh, we say appropriate discipline has been administered uh, and we walk on and we don't check back in. We don't talk to the manager. We don't talk to the reporter and say, how you doing? Is everything okay? Um, we don't engage in any kind of mediation to rebuild relationships uh, if the reporter's still there um, so that that trust can be rebuilt and that communication can be rebuilt. And we don't monitor. We don't see if they're taking sick days. We don't see if they're not getting opportunities. We maybe even don't pay attention to see, you know, has their office been moved down to the basement? Um, you know, uh, and uh, gee, did they get passed up for that uh, promotion? That we were sure they were going to get, or um, you know, what's what's really happening with them? So, you know, we have the we have the reporters who we know about who who are in, in news, but there there are good soldiers. <laughs> and very brave, courageous people who still are in the organizations uh, that they uh, came forward about. And they're ostracized and miserable and not treated well. And um, I think as compliance officers, we need to do better uh, to make sure that those folks are okay uh, and getting help if, you know, whatever help they might need. And in my experience, you know, People who've really raised um, concerns and um, they don't stay very long because they're not really treated very well by their coworkers. And we need to do some education and awareness to say we don't we don't tolerate disrespect uh, in our workplace for whatever reason, including the fact that somebody has come forward. So that's um, I think those are some steps that we could take. Well, I mean, it's interesting too because other employees may come and say, you know. As if so and so, you know, reported to the government or did this, and to look at them and say that was someone's right, they can do that. It, it, it's interesting if you've ever seen the, the look on someone's face after you, you tell them, you know, that is not something we're going to investigate. Whether you think that this person did or did not do something, because you know, do you realize that's retaliation? I mean, I also think one other point I'd want to add to that is when you're talking about boards and leadership, I mean, I think diversity is really important, breaking up sort of the same network of people who may be promoting each other and promoting a bad culture. I think the more we're doing on that is really critically important. Agree. Agree. So I do think it's an area of opportunity, as they say, when I, in my HR compliance days. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge area. And I, the one other thing I would just say is... Um, I think we need to turn to behavioral science um, to figure out some of some of the reasons why we react the way we do. We are all human. Um, 
but but to get to some of the ways in which this could be better is we need to understand some of those those the emotional intelligence and those feelings behind the actions um, so that we we can really counsel and uh, and monitor in a much more effective way. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this. I do think one of the things that, Ellen, you told me, and I've mentioned this before, one of the first times I talked to you about substance and careers and futures was you said one of the things is that one of the things as an ethics and compliance professional to keep in mind is sometimes you might have to be prepared to move on if your company doesn't act appropriately. And it's a terrible reality, but I think it's something that shows the courage of the people in our field because we see p- people who are willing to do that more often than they'd, they'd like. It's an untenable situation. Um, and we hope that none of us are ever put in that position, but I do think about that on a regular basis. Yeah, and, and our friend Joe Murphy uh, would say that, you know, every ethics and compliance officer ought to have an employment contract <laughs> so that the, ter- that the terms of when you need to walk away are clear for you. Um, and that's another area where I think that if, if organizations really support and believe that ethics and compliance is important to their success, uh, they'd be willing to back that up by giving their ethics and compliance officers employment contracts. Yeah. Well, thank you again for your time. I know how busy you've been and who knows between the few days that we've recorded this and when it comes out, what will be the next chapter in Activision Blizzard and uh, Governor Cuomo. Um, but I'm really so grateful for, for you all together and for the time that you take and for what you do for the profession. So and I know Mary is too. So on behalf of the Compliance Podcast Network, Mary Shirley, Gwick, me, and all of us, thanks, Ellen. And I hope everyone has a great day. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.